descending on this area. It, it, it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God. Oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Terrible. I did not see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I did that was out of up Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway in downtown New York. Did you hear the explosion oh, from yes. your position? Yes, we did. As a matter of fact, we, we heard it and... and because I was just like standing there pretty much looking out the window. I didn't see what caused it or if there was an impact. So you have no idea right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> right? oh. oh, my God. Oh. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Oh. Flew right into the middle of it. Oh. Explosion. Oh my God, it's right in the middle of the building. This one into the East Tower. Yes. Yes. Right in the middle of the building. And right now... That, yes, that was definitely looked like it was on purpose. You saw a yes, plane? Yes, I just saw a plane go into the building. Good morning, everyone. Uh, pretty heavy stuff. Uh, it's, it's hard to forget that. It happened 15 years ago. Uh, today is the 15th anniversary of September 11, 2001. And in one sense, the world hasn't been the same ever since. Uh, for many people, the accusation, God, if you had been there, this suffering would not have happened. That's, that's the accusation on our lips, or the accusation perhaps somewhere in our minds. Uh, and not just for us, for people around the world. Many people can probably relate to that quote from an Epicurus, of a Greek philosopher who deduced that God can't be God if there is suffering in the world. The quote on your uh, leaflets, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence come the evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? We all live in this post 9-11 world, a world with increased terror, suspicion, a world where we're very concerned about our own borders and very suspicious of other people. But before 9-11, uh, we had an even more significant day. A day of unmitigated disaster. A day when death entered the world. Uh, the Bible tells us that the day that suffering and death entered the world was because humanity had rejected God, had cut ourselves off from God. And ever since then, we've endured the suffering, pain and death. How are you feeling? This is pretty heavy stuff. Now, the suffering we experience is not just the big terror suffering. We suffer disease. And we suffer a breakdown in relationship with God and with one another. Maybe the pain of a relationship going wrong. Or maybe the pain of long-term uh, job loss. Maybe the struggle of unwanted long-term singleness. We can be left thinking, God, if only you had been here, then I would not suffer this way. Uh, as 
Shawnee read so helpfully for us in John 11, it makes it clear for us that it is Jesus who can do something about our suffering. It's Jesus who can reverse the suffering. The first thing we see is that Jesus doesn't respond to suffering in the way we'd expect him to. Secondly, Jesus reverses our reasons for grieving and takes away the real reason behind suffering. And we also see that Jesus suffers as well. Uh, So just as something to say up the very front, uh, talking about suffering, talking about death, there's something really real that we all engage with here. And if you're someone here who's, who's really just struggling with life, who's really just suffering today, I hope that this is helpful for you. Uh, God's word is very helpful for us. But if there is something that is going on in your life right now and you need to talk about it or you need to pray about it, please talk to myself or Colin uh, afterwards because that's what we're here for. Now, so first of all, we see that Jesus doesn't respond to suffering the way we'd expect him to. We see that Jesus loved Lazarus Look with me here in verse 3, if you've got your Bibles open to page 1076 still. Uh, The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Or even skipping down to verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And further down in verse 36, um, we also see Jesus loves Lazarus. We can be in no doubt that Jesus loves Lazarus. And we also see in this passage, in verses 21, and down in verse 32, and even down in verse 37, uh, the cry out that, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We see that if Jesus had been there, he could have healed Lazarus. We know that Jesus has the power to heal sickness. So how did Jesus respond when he heard that Lazarus was sick? But please look with me here at verses 4 to 7. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Lazarus lo- now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and he got back to his disciples saying, let us go back to Judea. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I wonder if you've ever been in a position where you've thought, if only I'd been there. If only I'd gone in touch. I could have done something. Um, When it comes to our loved ones suffering, I think that's an unavoidable thought. Whether it's missing being with a loved one when they died parent, child. In my family four years ago, uh, my dad's brother took his own life. Our family still feels the ongoing pain of loss and suffering. Every Father's Day, uh, every birthday, every year on the anniversary of his death. My cousins, my dad. We're all just left asking, could we have done something else? This is a deep pain. Maybe you felt in a similar position. When Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
when Jesus is given an opportunity to do something about this suffering, his response is to stay where he was for another two days. Now, how do you feel to hear that? Was, was Jesus just distracted? The answer to this is no. Jesus was acting very deliberately. He heard that Lazarus was sick. And in response to this news, as we see in verse 6, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, Lazarus dies during that time. Now, this is a hard thing to put together. Um, we see back in John chapter 4 as well that there was another person who was dying who was miles away from Jesus. And with just a word, Jesus healed that person, which he doesn't do here. Jesus' decision to remain is intentional and it's purposeful. So just look with me down there then at verse 15. Jesus says to his disciples, For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Uh, between this and verse 4, Jesus has made it clear to us that Lazarus' death is somehow going to be used by Jesus to glorify God and to build up his disciples' faith. What about us? Uh, we all see suffering here and now, and we may expect God to do something about it immediately. To act, to alleviate the suffering. It's the kind of thought on almost everyone's lips. If God was there, if God really cared, then he'd stop the suffering, wouldn't he? And for some of us here this morning, this might be a question on our minds right now because you're actually someone who's suffering. We do live in a real world, a broken world. And this can just be hard for us, can't it? We can't say for certain that all the suffering we endure uh, has exactly the same purpose as what suffering Lazarus underwent. But as we've seen here with Jesus' actions, uh, we know that it's true that God cares for us. He loves. And we know it's true that God can do something about suffering. So the question then becomes, what is God going to do about it? Uh, and because of Jesus' life, God reverses his suffering. He reverses the reason for grief. Jesus provides the ultimate comfort for everyone who grieves because he reverses our suffering. He reverses the reasons we have for grieving. Look with me in verses 21 to 24. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, for me, I've, I don't always find it the easiest to comfort someone who's, who's really just having a hard time. Uh, I want to offer a hug. I want to um, be able to say some words of encouragement and comfort. But there are plenty of times where I just find myself fumbling along. I don't know if you can relate to that. Or maybe on the other hand, you've been on the receiving end of well-meaning, but just poor, poor comforters. So when we put ourselves in Martha's shoes, and with that kind of in mind, it's almost like Jesus is saying, there, there, Martha. Lazarus has gone to a better place. Uh, he'll be okay. 
it, when Jesus says your brother will rise again, it sounds like he's just reminding Martha that one day, sometime in the future, there's going to be a resurrection. Even though she kind of knows that God will raise people to life one day, she doesn't seem to have a lot of confidence in the here and now. He's dead. Jesus was just too late, she might have thought. Well, let's keep reading down in verses 25 to 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And what Jesus says here is that he he isn't just claiming that one day, sometime in the future, there's going to be a resurrection. He's saying he is the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus says to Martha that he is the only person who can grant eternal life and resurrection. A life that doesn't have end. A life beyond physical death. A life that is free from any fear of death. What do you make of that? Jesus isn't just the teacher or a healer. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the source of all life. And his question to Martha there in verse 26 is, do you believe this? That question is also a question for us today. Do we believe it? Do we have a personal confidence that Jesus is who he says he is? That Jesus is God's son. He is the chosen king. Uh, He is the one who can do something about suffering and death and pain and disease. Jesus is the only one who can take away our reason for grieving. So as we hurtle through the rest of this narrative, we see that Jesus uh, talks to Mary. She asks him exactly the same question as Martha, but Jesus responds differently. Jesus sees her weeping. He's deeply moved in his spirit and deeply troubled. He cries at the wrongness of death. They arrive at the tomb where Lazarus is buried. Lazarus has been dead for four days and there's been a stone sealed over it. Just since he was embalmed and sealed away. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus asks to open the tomb. So just take a moment now, maybe close your eyes if it helps. Um, I'm serious, I can see eyes open. No. Think of the smelliest thing you have ever smelt. Relive that experience. The, the, no. For me, a few years ago, I went away on a camp for about a week. Um, and when I got home, I was just hit by this wave of repugnance, this smell that made me gag, this foul, sickening stench. Uh, it turned out that in my time away, a small animal like a possum or a mouse had died in the roof and had been dead for about that long. Uh, I don't want to relive that experience any more than I have to, so I'll move on. Uh, the stench of death soaks. It just permeates everywhere. 
And this is the smell that these people were expecting. They were expecting to open that tomb and to smell this disgusting wave of death. But because Jesus asked them to, they still rolled away the stone. uh, And Jesus prepared to make good on his promise that he is the resurrection and the life. Now Jesus takes a moment to remind us that God the Father always hears him. That as Martha correctly said in verse 22, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. God the Father gives Jesus whatever he asks. Why? Because Jesus asks for things that are in line with the Father's will. Jesus asks God the Father to bring glory to to God, uh, to glorify God's name. And second of all, Jesus asks this, as we see there in verse 42, uh, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays to God, asks all this for God, for the sake of people to understand and know who he is, for people like us to believe that God sent Jesus. And so at long last, we reach verses 43 and 44. And Jesus calls out to Lazarus in the tomb to come out. Lazarus obeys. Uh, There's even a bit of an idea around that if Jesus didn't specify Lazarus, then everyone who was in the tomb would have gotten up and come out. Um, But Jesus does say Lazarus. Not a zombie Lazarus, a real living, breathing man. Um, Lazarus is raised from death to life and he obeys Jesus. Why? Because Jesus alone has the power to do something about death. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the source of life. When Jesus brings life, we have life. When Jesus says that he can offer us life, he isn't just offering hope for someday long way away in the future. Uh, Through faith in Jesus, the scandal of death being a full stop is reversed. And if Jesus can undo death once, then he can undo death always. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Well, what does this mean? It's been a a long kind of road in here. We've seen that if Jesus can undo death, then Jesus can undo our reason for grief, for mourning. Jesus can undo everything that's wrong in the world. All the, if only I did more, thoughts. He offers us a resurrection hope that isn't just a generalized, vague hope for the future. He offers us a resurrection hope in who he is. Jesus provides the ultimate comfort and not just well-meaning words for us who suffer. And next of all, we see that Jesus understands our suffering. Uh, So Jesus understands our suffering because he also suffered like us. We see in verse 45 that many people believe in Jesus. Uh, They see what he's done and as Jesus prayed, they believe. They believe that he is the resurrection and the life. They believe that he is exactly who he said he is. But some of them report to the Jewish authorities. Some people see this, report to the Jewish authorities who, under the high priest Caiaphas, comes to the conclusion that Jesus is a threat. Uh, that Jesus, it'd be best if he was just out of the picture, if they just got rid of him. So they look with me here at verses 49 
Acts of 53. One of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. These Jewish authorities didn't just oppose Jesus. They didn't just get mad and think angry thoughts and glare. They determined to take Jesus' life. They plotted to kill him. Now back at the start of this chapter in verse 8, Jesus' disciples made it very clear that it wasn't that long ago that the authorities tried to kill him. And he wanted to go back near Jerusalem. The disciples fully expected that Jesus going to Bethany meant Jesus going to die. And it is true. Uh, If Jesus hadn't gone to Bethany at that time, the Jewish authorities wouldn't have started plotting to kill him at that time. But what we need to realize is that for Jesus, raising Lazarus from the dead wasn't a cheap thing to do. For Jesus, to do this meant that Jesus' life had to be taken. And as we saw there in verses 51 and 52, Jesus' life wasn't just going to be taken so that Lazarus could have life. Jesus' life was going to be taken to bring all God's children into right relationship with God. To take away that reason for death and suffering in the world. Have you ever thought about it like that? Jesus suffered when he didn't have to. He understands pain and suffering like us. He was killed unjustly. His suffering was used by God to alleviate our suffering, to take it away and to give us life. Jesus' suffering is to enable us to live. How do we feel about that? All right, just take a second now, just... Shake your face or, you know, shake your arms or something. Just breathe in, breathe out. We are alive. Uh, I hope. So Jesus went eventually to his death, suffering like us, to bring about that resurrection that we all long for. So what does this mean for us today? Well, first of all, for those of us in here who aren't followers of Jesus, uh, who've Heard a bit about Jesus today. Maybe this is your first time. And this passage makes it pretty clear that one of the reasons that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead was so that we might believe in him, so that we could see his power and trust that he is the resurrection and the life. To take him and trust him as the resurrection for us, as the one who can reverse our suffering. So the question, uh, if you you don't trust Jesus, is why not? Uh, Maybe it's worth taking another look at him. Well, for many of us here, though, we are followers of Jesus. And I think there are three important resurrection challenges for us today. The first challenge is around how we view suffering. Uh, Don't get me wrong, suffering here and now is bad. It is. Jesus rightfully cried at the wrongness of suffering being in the world. 
But Jesus didn't undo this suffering immediately either. There was another purpose for it. It was for God's glory. Now what this means for us is that God might use suffering in our lives for a reason. And Jesus is the best example of that. Uh, Jesus suffered to bring life for so many people. Now I don't want to make light of what some of us are going through this morning. But maybe there is a way that God will use this to grow our trust in Jesus. Our belief that he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus, not perfect health, not perfect relationships, not perfect grades. Jesus is the source of life. The second challenge for us is how we think about our futures. Uh, Do we have a general resurrection view like Martha had? A, I know someday in the future it will all work out for me and all that. Do we have that kind of view? Uh, Do we have that view and then work really, really hard here and now? Looking to our own effort or to others and what they can do for us. Uh, Do we look to these things to make life better here and now, to give us life now? Jesus being the resurrection and the life is not just about the future. Jesus being the resurrection and the life is about how we do life here and now. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus is like a Lazarus. Uh, We've been called out of the tomb. We've been called to live life as those who are in Jesus. People who are trusting in him. Uh, It wouldn't make much sense for us to wear grave clothes in general and walk back into the tomb. um, Unless you're at a party or something. Now Jesus brings us back to life now. He knows exactly what we need. So let's talk to him now. Uh, if, if you're struggling with sin or with something that you just wish God would, would give you or take away from you, talk to the resurrection and the life. Believe that Jesus loves you and that Jesus can take away our reason for grieving. Don't just settle for a general someday everything will get better view. And the final challenge for us here and now is how we view the suffering of others here and now. If Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life, if Jesus really offers life here and now, and if Jesus alone can really deliver on it, then our friends, our co-workers, our family, our peers, our colleagues, our acquaintances, what they deeply need to hear when it comes to death and suffering isn't only a my deepest sympathies kind of comment. We need Jesus. Because while anyone can weep at the wrongness of death and pain in the world, only Jesus can do something to reverse it. Only Jesus can deal with our suffering. So we've seen that Jesus doesn't respond to suffering in an expected way, but rather he deliberately delayed from healing Lazarus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and therefore he is powerful to reverse suffering. And Jesus also suffers so that he can do something about our suffering. So what about our question? What about our thoughts? God, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. It is true. Uh, If God had done something, if God had intervened in an event, he could have stopped suffering 
And until Jesus comes back, we might never know why God didn't act in a particular way. But we do know something, and we do know that because of Jesus, God has already done something about suffering. God has already promised us and proved to us that there will come a great day when death and suffering and pain won't be here. A great day when there will be no more death. A day when there will be no more mourning. A day when there will be no more crying. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's talk to God. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he understands our suffering. Thank you that he is the resurrection and the life. Thank you that through Jesus you have done something about the suffering we experience. Help us to put our trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. To look to him alone for life. To live our lives in response to him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.